Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Bench Units podcast. My name is Mark. We are back with the first weekend roundup of the whole season, and I am joined by James, as always. How's it going, man? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. I'm a bit nervous that I either will have forgotten how to do this or never knew in the first place and just talked myself into it through pure volume. But yeah, apart from that, not too bad. Seeing as we've had guests all summer and we've not had much alone time and the one that we did have alone time on, we were talking about the fact that the Worlds had been cancelled. Shall we start with a light-hearted icebreaker that's normally reserved for guests? Um, Sure. Okay. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen happen on a basketball court? Oh, wow. Um, Don't look at Anna. She's not going to help you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the wall. Um, I would need to rotate like another 60 degrees. Um, might be Stevie Owen like orchestrating a whole planned like freak out to leave training <laughs> the weekend before national finals at Steelers so that he could go to a Liverpool game. Um <laughs> him freaking out on purpose and blowing up and being like, I'm not coming at the weekend. And then us figuring out that he was at Anfield. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the clean version. I think everyone who plays wheelchair basketball's answer is actually like disabled people hygiene related. Yeah. Uh, what about you? What's your clean one of those? Um, I've got, when you say clean, do you feel like editing one swear word? Um, no, but you can just omit it in the story if you want. Also, I will edit it, but you could just like go silent instead of saying the word and make my life easier. Okay, we'll do that. Um, yeah, so the reason I asked you is I thought about, I can't remember what got me thinking about this, but when in my many trials and tribulations of playing for Scotland, even though it turned out subsequently I wasn't Scottish enough to be eligible, but that was me- many medals later. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was many, many years of taking like taking the victory away from the one home nation that actually really had home nation players. Right, yeah. Um oh, no, Wales did all right too. It's only Scotland I have the issue with. Yeah. No, entirely fair. Um I can't remember which one it was, like UK school games, maybe? Probably. When we had like I think we ended up three English guys, three Scottish guys, because that was the only like six we could put out to be able to play a tournament. And the Scottish kids, like I think, had maybe played one round of like under fifteens ever in their entire life. Sure. Um, <laughs> they, I think, we like went into a layup drill, which they like barely knew the motions of. And one of the kids who must have been about fourteen at the time fell out of his chair, and I pushed him, <laughs> pushed over to help him. You know how you go like casters like in front of them so they like grab your leg bars and yeah. like themselves up um and i like went rolled over to help him out like looked down to check he was all right and he just looked up at me and in like this thick glaswegian accent just like what the f- are you looking at oh god you said it i said i had to i was in the moment yeah. but, um, no worries um it- it turned out when I like did some digging, it turned out the club he played for, their belief on like kids learning to get back in their chairs was just to leave them there and they'd eventually figure out their way back up. Oh my god. <laughs> I went over with all good intentions and he badly misread the situation. But it was like it's not weird, but it's maybe the most surreal thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Oh, I, I've rethought my answer and I've seen someone in uh gb like junior league wheelchair basketball play in jeans 
with their phone and change in their pockets. And I know their phone and change were in their pockets because they fell out at one point (laughs) to stop the game to be like, hey, there's a phone and like, I don't know, 150 on the court. Whose is this? And someone's like, oh yeah, that's mine. And then just put it back in their (laughs) pocket. Like I think the jeans is the bit that I think is the most ridiculous, even though it isn't. But to be fair, if you ever need like, if you ever need to beat a defender once, on a strategy they're not going to fall for again, drop a quid on the court and then be like, whose quid is that? And everyone will have a quick peek. God. Yeah. All right. But yeah, fair enough. Nothing that ridiculous happens at the high level stuff. There's a lot of just people falling out and whatever. That's hilarious. Like, I don't know if anyone clocked it, but at the end of the half in the final of the Spanish Supercopa, Paso fell out just on his own. Like, <laughs> in the half. Um, but yeah, hilarious. But anyway, right. Should we talk about some games? Let's do it. Should we start in Spain? I think that's tradition, isn't it? And it was also, as you mentioned, the inaugural Supercopa this weekend. Yeah, I have a... This is my my nitpicking. It will start and finish about this tournament right now. They don't even have a cup. It's like a... <laughs> it, like, it's a trophy. Like, it's a... I mean, it's not a trophy. It's like this little square glass plaque thing. Right. Come on, man. I feel like they've missed something by not making it a cup. Any non-Spanish speaking listeners are like, ah, I didn't realize super was the Spanish word for not a. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. But yeah. All right. So first game of the Spanish Super Cup uh, was El Union 88, Bilbao 77. Did you happen to watch much of this one? I watched most of it, yeah. Um, <laughs> I watched 32 minutes of it-ish, and I played about eight minutes of it. Um, but, yeah, obviously a very, like, a, a quite changed Alunion team. Yeah. We had a couple of new guys involved, but we were missing David Maurice, which is massive for us because, obviously, he was the absolute man last year. Um, he's he's coming back this week. He'll be all right. But uh, he couldn't. He couldn't get to this. And yeah, I think that hurt us because we had to play. We played our four big uh, one one pointer lineup yeah. for most of the game. And also the thing that hurt us most is Alunion are very good and Hasso was great, which doesn't say a lot for me saying the four big lineup was, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's um, um, when you... David Maurice couldn't be there, and you referenced the Stevie Owen storm out to start the podcast. Was this David Maurice's Stevie Owen storm out when he realised that Asier was back and Pappy was also joining the picture? And he's like, well, if I'm not going to have the ball, I'm going to go watch the football instead. No, that was absolutely not the case. Um, But yeah, I would have loved that. I don't think that happens at this level. Uh, (laughs) uh, But yeah, as I say, Hasso absolutely gave it to us in his first game against his old team, which I'm sure he was dying to do. Um, But yeah, he he did great. We just couldn't couldn't stop him getting to the edge of the charge circle. And then when we really sort of, a team at that quality, when you put a lot of your resources towards stopping one thing, they're going to just kill you somewhere else. Like by the time we figured out stopping Hasso getting to the, like just getting in front of the rim, Terry got going a little bit. Greg got going a bit. Tom O'Neill had three threes in his first real game for Illunion. Um, But yeah, so we just didn't have enough to stop them. We scored like we got to 77 because Papi was great for us. Um, Asier, Chema, 
Manu chipped in um, all in the double figures, but Papi had 32 for us, which was great to see in his first game. But yeah, it yeah. Just, just wasn't enough. They were they were very good. Yeah, it was a, a weirdly quiet 32 from Papi. It was like... Yeah, couple- that shocked me a little bit. Like yeah. I knew he, I thought he would have 20 something, but 32 seems like a lot, but... There was, I texted you about this after game. My favorite play of the whole game was Illunion starting with like a hustle and then um, Papi and Lucas Glosner, who's your other foreign input from this summer, they like got the ball down safe and were like running the two-man game while the rest of the guys were trying to break like the three-man press and the trailers were coming through and Papi was like, eh, I'm kind of open here. I'll just shoot this. And it was like a fine semi-open shot like mid shot clock and then the, I think the ball came down the other way and then there was an out of bounds and there was just Asier roasting the two foreigners and like look guys if you're coming in here this is not how we do things <laughs> um, yeah I thought that was like Papi obviously I think is a pretty easy guy to fit in yeah shooting kind of fits in <laughs> shooting rebounding and not needing the ball a whole lot is relatively malleable um yeah i haven't haven't seen your one pointer apart from in the german junior team which is tough to give an idea of how he'll stand up in the spanish league yeah uh, no he, he did he did well that game i thought i was impressed because he's a young guy coming over here um, he's a, a huge one as well which i think oh, massive yeah i think anyone was really expecting when he rolled up like nobody's seen him yet effectively but he's a big guy um says so it's as four big units go. It's like a massive advantage compared to having Mariana on there, who's obviously a very small one. Um, yeah, sure. Um, the other big thing that killed us, they just couldn't keep them off the offensive glass. I think they had, was it 13? Yes. Yeah. Uh, 13 offensive boards, I believe. This might be our first stats are broken of the season, but apparently the stat sheet would have us believe they out-rebounded you guys 39 to 16 total. Um, Yeah, that seems stupid, but doesn't feel too far wrong, strangely. <laughs> um, yeah, they we just couldn't grab a board. I think that's the thing of playing someone with like real consequential size, like Hasso, especially when you no longer have a player like Hasso of that size. Yeah. Um, if they get to a certain spot on the floor, doesn't really matter if you make them miss the first shot they take. Yeah, I think it was a kind of an interesting study just in like Hasso's transfer between these two teams. But like obviously you guys rolled out four bigs in your starting lineup, but also at any given point there was a chance Illunion had the two biggest guys on the floor. Oh yeah. Like uh, Bill is massive. Had it, had it been, for example, um Gemma had gone to Illunion, which I know he would never do because that guy like bleeds the various black and white and green and red of Bilbao. Oh yes. But if you guys had kept Hasso and that had been the other way around, like there's no telling the trickle down effects of not sacrificing that amount of size. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Um, but yeah, like you kind of need that level of size to deal with that level of size or you either have to give everything else up. Yeah. Or the ideal thing is you can kind of, collapse to protect the paint and then get back out to shooters but that's the that's the sort of golden ticket that's the really high level stuff that if you're going to win basketball games at the highest level you need to be able to do but it is so demanding like you have to be able to 
be everywhere at once or just kind of win your one-on-ones while also being really, really connected. It's so difficult to do, but yeah. What did you think of, we'll, we'll get onto Alunion a bit more when we talk about the final of this, but what did you think of Alunion's rotations? Um, interesting choice that Tom is obviously in their new and they have started Tom uh, with Amadou. And then Greg and Bill is kind of their first move off the bench. Yeah. Um, Man, they've got options. <laughs> they have. Um, yeah, I mean, Greg and Bill come in with, what, 18 points on nine for 11 shooting? Yeah, let's not say Greg was four from four, and I believe it, but like also um, that's mad. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I mean, if your options are Bill and Greg or Tom and Amadou, yeah, I would well. think... Yeah, you're fine either way. I think I would have lent starting Bill and Greg, but it's also the first two games of the season, so you can't be like, why is this team not doing this? Like They're well within their rights to be tinkering at the moment. Yeah, of course. And also the thing is, like, they went to that 4-5-4-4-2 and uh, won with a reduction lineup plenty throughout both of the games. Um, yeah, it's not like they just hadn't figured it out yet. No, it's like, I, I think we probably, well, we're about to not, but I think a lot of people understate how hard it is to probably figure out what lineup works best for when and like how to portion that out because most wheelchair basketball coaches are like, oh yeah, I have seven guys yeah. <laughs> like, and I know who my seven guys are and I know that five of them will give me yeah. three quarters of what I need. Um, but yeah, like there is difficulty, like we probably slate Alunian um, or have done for the last couple of years a little bit for not winning some games, but it, I'm sure it's not as hard as it, it's not as easy as it seems to be like, all right, I've got nine or whatever great guys to pick from. Yeah. I'm saying nine, like it's probably 11 or 12. I don't know. Uh, but And I need to keep them all happy and content with minutes played and like roles in each lineup and everything. It's like, it becomes, it goes from kind of trying to making, trying to make, uh, more than some of the parts deal to then juggling and using the right sprinklings of stuff. Like that's a very fine line. Yeah. I also like there are some lineups that just should work, but don't like you look at it and you go, Hey, this adds up to 14 and a half. Yeah. Why does that not work? And <laughs> obviously we can hear, we can sit here on a zoom call and ask questions of someone who gets paid to think about it. And <laughs> but yeah um, they also trick trick question in Spain none of the lineups add up to 14 and a half that is true um, technically uh, some of them do uh, but yeah um, yeah Alunion look very good and have plenty of options yeah so and I think it's just figuring out which works for when um, and obviously it's like day to day as well like some people just have it or don't have it at certain points or some matchups aren't great for certain guys and now they actually have a little bit more variance like they've got more handling on the floor like I think Tom really helps them yeah. um, but like they got a little smaller obviously in those two threes um, lineups obviously swapping up Pablo for a Tom but what you lose there you gain in shooting and handling and maybe that's kind of something that will benefit them Yeah, yeah you're right um, so that's effectively semi-final number one played because this tournament is only semi-finals and then medal games. Um, yes. 
Shall we shift on to the other semi-final? Because with meaning no disrespect to Gran Canaria, I don't imagine we'll have to talk about this one for very long. Yeah. All right. So, uh, 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 uh. so this one was Amio Albacete seventy-eight, Gran Canaria forty-three. Yeah. So I came into this game. So we just finished our game. I came in to watch this, and it was two minutes into the first quarter, and they had already rotated slightly. Um, I, so I was like, ah, right, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it wasn't like they wasn't. It wasn't like a this is over rotation. It was a we need to make a sub rotation. But I was like, oh, okay, six nil, two minutes, subs in. Obviously, people do this thing where they're like, ah, it's six nil in two minutes. If I multiply that by 20, like (laughs) it's going to be, you know, people do that with scores. And obviously, that's not what happened. So Grand Canaria did all right to claw it back and make it like make it a, well, still a. Still a 35-point blowout, but you know what I mean. I mean, it was 24-17 at the end of the first quarter, so that's down 17 at the end of, using your metric there, down 17 at the end of the um, first quarter, you should lose the game by 68. So they only lost by roughly half of what it would have been projected to be after a quarter, so (laughs) not a bad game. But yeah, yeah. It was always going to be tough because Albacete are unbelievable by the looks of things. I think we knew they were going to be, but man, watching it actually work is amazing. Is amazing watching those guys like the injection of pace that getting Phil Pratt and Charlie Moore gives you is unbelievable. Um, the fact that they can go four big <laughs> and still just run and gun is class. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and the Grand Canaria thing, even going back, you know, they obviously look a bit different this year with they lost three starters from last season. Yeah. Um, lost their whole perimeter. Like, yeah. Um, and yeah, they're effectively, they weren't stocked on size to begin with. And it was a lot of Jorge Salazar defending bigger guys game in and game out. Yeah. Um, that obviously hasn't gotten easier with the loss of Ari and like even. Alexi Ramone in place of Jorge Sanchez is a slightly smaller guy. Sure. Um, Both pretty he, small, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Drissé is a 1-5, but seems to get a hand on basically anybody who's not Lee Manning. Which he's is a it. big guy, man. Like he sits, he sits big and he's long and tall. And yeah, he is not a small 1-5 for sure. But um, um, it was just volume and amount of size that did this for Albacete. I mean, once Lee's inside against a team like Gran Canaria, it's effectively the same thing you described with Hasso, but potentially to an even greater extent. Yeah, and it's the thing I was saying where you're like, okay, no, we've got to stop this. You go to that point where you're like, no, we've got to just throw the kitchen sink at stopping people getting inside because Lee finished the game 11 from 13 and then Filipski gives you 10 from 15. <laughs> like... You know what I mean? What do you what do you do? Like if you're yeah. if you've got such pressure on the rim and the three point line at the same time, and you're having to run constantly, you're gonna have some trouble. But yeah, no. Offensively, Grand Canaria, like you're asking, they basically at several points in this game ran a strong side and had a one screening for uh, Raúl Vega. And you're asking Raúl, who like I, I like Raúl, and you're asking him to do what Rose Hollerman used to do. And there aren't many Rose Hollermans in the world. Entirely fair. 
Um, shall we shift on to the bronze game between yourselves and Gran Canaria? Uh, yes, just after I say that it's great to see Richard Noche playing again because uh, <laughs> Richie is the man and yeah. it's yeah. nice to see him play basketball again. Cool. Cool. So, yeah, following that, this was the next day and this was Bilbao 77, Gran Canaria 68. So a little bit closer than the margins of the previous day might have led you to believe. Yeah. Um, this felt a little bit like Gran Canaria finding their feet a little bit more, but ultimately still at a size disadvantage against a team that can go four big. Yeah. Um, we started four big again, rolled Mariana Perez out instead of Lucas. Um, same thing. Um, Papi gave us another 27. Manu was great in this game. Manu was 18 points here from 13. Um, finished off inside. Um, but yeah, man, we just got going. We, we got going pretty well pretty early. Um, they clawed it back a little bit. They won the second quarter, but kind of took care of it from there. We had a couple of periods, me and uh, Adrian Garcia, who's new in the team as well, subbed in for, God, I think we played about 15, yeah, 16 minutes there together. And there was a little bit of time where we just come in and kind of lost hold of it a bit, a couple of sloppy turn. I had like the two worst turnovers in the world in like <laughs> two like a two-play stretch. It's one of those, do you ever get you through a dumb pass and someone's immediately like, no, no, you needed to do this. I'm like, well, yeah, like, <laughs> I know I just didn't. But yeah, um, but no, we like, it just took us a little minute. Um, we kind of let them get away with a couple of things for a little while. Like, um, Prasade was getting to the basket. Um, we also had a period where we couldn't keep, or Salazar off the boards because he he rebounds bigger than he is. D does that make sense? Like I feel yeah, like he, I think he basically plays bigger than he is in more or less every facet. The, yeah, for sure. The thing that impressed me with him this weekend is he's kind of the past season he was over in Gran Canaria and his previous stint in Spain where he was in Bilbao. He was pretty limited to playing like a traditional big, but undersized. But he actually had some with their kind of retweaking of their offensive hierarchy, he's played some perimeter, you know, based roles in these couple of games. And if he makes like shots from the wing for them consistently, that helps their floor balance a hell of a lot. Yeah, exactly. He shot the ball well, and he's going to have to, if they're going to play two lows at all times, like yeah. you can run power as much as you want. But I think if teams load up the help to that side to a certain point, you have to redistribute what you're doing um, and him being able to sort of peel out onto the perimeter makes a big difference, but especially if he's making those shots, but yeah. Um, and Alexi Ramone looks like he's fitting in well there. Um, they've gone from like here, four pointer, have the ball um, with Jorge Sanchez to the same with Ramone, but with a little bit more diversity than they previously had, maybe out of necessity um, because you don't want, too much diversity when that would take you away from the ball ending up in Rose Hollerman's hands at 15 yeah. feet wide open. So <laughs> like, yeah, no, they look, they look all right. Like they're going to be there, thereabouts for the spots just below the best teams in Spain, I would say. And they're in that, like can take games off big teams spot. 
but I don't know. I don't see them at the level they were the last couple of years, but you never know. I'm saying this, like we only beat them by like a, a few in the end. Like, yeah, I think it's a weird matchup for you guys because you've got with, with the lineups you predominantly played, you've got size and are not necessarily short on speed, but also you, they have similar to how Hasso and Bill gave Looney on the one man distinct size advantage. Ramonade does that with speed against your four big, like where everyone's relatively similar sizes and dimensions. He's like, okay, well, I'm quicker than everybody on this team. Yeah, um, I think both games we kind of had a little trouble stopping things in transition. Like, yeah. if I'm honest, I'm, that's probably just a like getting used to playing with each other thing and, you know, the yeah. team having one blueprint of how to stop things in transition and new players being like, oh, what is this? Okay, that's how we do it here. Cool. Um, but that'll take a little minute, obviously. But they kind of got us in transition a little bit too and on offensive boards. My favorite thing that's obviously Ramadan's new in Spain, but we've watched him forever. It's funny that obviously everybody who played against him with Lacane will have like known this and it's funny to see people pick it up so quickly. But I think there was twice over the weekend, maybe once against Damiab and once against you guys where it was like a fumbled ball somewhere around the three-point line top of the key. And it was like person who'd fumbled the ball went to go back and get it. Alexi pushed with them and then it's like Alexi kind of half gathers the ball and gets one push in and whoever was racing him for it was like okay yeah there is no point me pushing the next three quarters of the court just to eat his dust oh yeah he's it's insane yeah, I like man. You, people don't even get a full push in before they realise it's not worth chasing <laughs> it's absolutely insane yeah unbelievable shall we move on to the final yes Okay, the final was uh, Amiab Ablasetti, 68, uh, CDL Union, 57. So pretty close game until, it was honestly like in my memory, it was like mid-third quarter, but it was actually like the last three minutes of the third quarter. Like it was, yeah. it was a bit later than I remembered it, but hell of a game. Like that's one of the things about going to a tournament like this. Um, as a player, you get to sit side, like beside the court and, hear everything and you know listen to people talking to each other and watching it from down there and the energy in that room was unbelievable like i think it being a home game for albacete really helped them but because that is a team that will play with momentum this year like i mean physically but also sort of psychologically like if you're running and gunning like that um you know having a hundred people go absolutely nuts when you get a steal and run it up the other end and get a layup in the other team goals a timeout like that. Yeah. That like that weighs on you when you're coming to play there. So th- uh, that's going to be, yeah, that's a hell of a team, man. The way they run is just, I think that's going to be pretty special this year. Yeah. That was kind of my point of intrigue about this game was from talking to Ben Fox the night before, obviously Illunion and Albacete both qualified for the final at that point. And Ben had been saying to me prior to the tournament starting, he was basically like, yeah, we're going to... I've not given away the corporate secrets here because I think anyone who's watched five minutes of Albacete would know this. But Ben was like, we're going to try and just push the ball down people's throats and score in the first 12 seconds. Um, I like it. Are you sure that's not giving away corporate secrets? Would you like to ask him before we publish this? uh, He would tell anyone the same thing. And also there's two games of evidence to suggest that is the case. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the Phil Pratt joins team effect, right? It's like the anti Burdoon thing. We always joke about Burdoon getting there and being like, hey, everybody hold their horses. Yeah, get into a team. And you're like, hey, what's the rush? What do you mean? <laughs> like, yeah, someone pointing to the clock and him being like, that's loads of time. But yeah, um, um, no, the pace that playing with Phil brings is unbelievable. Like the energy that that guy puts on the floor is massive. Like I've played with and against it and yeah. man you notice it in both sides of the floor you've played with and against it as well to be fair like yeah you um, really notice it and I, I think that's to Albacete's advantage in more or less all cases the only thing that I wondered having watched how Lunion played against you guys was the if one team is determined to run and one team is determined to offensive rebound within an inch of their lives essentially every possession is kind of all or nothing in terms of if the defensive team does get the rebound, it's probably a layup because the other team sent X number of guys chasing the offensive rebound and counterpoint if they don't manage to secure the defensive rebound, probably two or three guys on the perimeter have pushed like past their defensive assignments and their numbers disadvantage. Oh yeah, like if you go to the if you go to the offensive boards against a team like that, you better get it is the real thing. And it's like going to the boards can be a counter to teams leaking out and trying get and trying to get away in transition, but like it better work. Yeah. Like I'm sort of like, ah, you should probably just get out of there. But yeah, it's 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 probably worth doing. Like if it had gone well, we would be sitting here saying the opposite, maybe. But yeah, yeah. It's I mean that's it's like we've talked about and we mentioned all the way through last season, when you're implementing these game plans, you're not saying we will do this and it will work. You're saying we'll push the numbers in our favor and it's more likely or less likely to work. But essentially every time you chase an offensive board against a team that wants to go in transition, it's very high risk, high reward. And there's not a lot of middle ground where it might just drop back to five on five in either direction, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, but also, like, I think there's a thing of, like, there have been teams that are sort of all in on running the ball, like, just running the ball down people's throats um, because they haven't had any other options. But, like, if you get to the other end and it didn't work out and you've got Filipski trailing, you're probably good <laughs> for five-on-five offense as well. Yeah, like There is that. Not to mention the fact that they just... Like they've got two absolute monsters going inside at all times, but um, and if like you've got Phil, who is like a special mobile ball handler, like you know if you've got Fifi scoring the ball well, like he was, you're good. Like he didn't shoot the ball well from three in this game, but five from eleven from two, like you're gonna be all right when you get down the other end of the floor and you have to slow things down a little bit. But I'm sure they'd prefer not to. God love him, like him coming here and playing all this half court stuff last year, and then someone coming up, coming in and being like, "No, no, we got to run, we got to run." <laughs> you think he's like, "Oh God, yeah." <laughs> Where do you get to a certain age and be as good a shooter as someone? Like he, I'm joking because he, by the looks of things, has bought in massively over the last couple of years. From everything I've heard, he's like the best teammate in the world and just the best guy to have around. But I wonder if it's sometimes you're like. Oh man, I can shoot the ball so well. I, uh, I'll be there when I'm. Be- I'll get there when I get there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's like the old Dirk Nowitzki thing in his last couple of seasons, wasn't it? He would like rebound, outlet pass, and then he would wait 
and stands still for like a good two seconds and he's like, okay, there's no transition layup. I'll walk up to the court and maybe get to the three-point line in time to launch the shot clock. Yeah. We're also saying this Philipski isn't like immobile or ancient. Like he's... <laughs> no, he's just co- just content to not exert himself if he doesn't need to, <laughs> which like I think he has earned. Oh yeah, exactly. Like that's what I'm saying. Just as a shooter, like I yeah. wonder if you're like, ugh, yeah. uh, what do you mean I have to run and gun? But yeah, the gunning part is worth getting there for, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, um, I think the the kind of disparity in these teams we talked about, Illunion's options, um, their kind of downfall here was that the two guys who would say are maybe their best primary initiators of their offenses. Terry and I would put Tom in here and have Greg more in the category of guy who's best playing off those guys. Um, and neither Terry or Tom had a particularly strong game in this case. Uh, Terry this was is, 12. Sorry. Good. This is the point where we mentioned that Terry got a really nasty poke in the eye by accident and left the game, never came back. Um, so yeah. He doesn't listen to this because he's too old to know what a podcast is. But <laughs> Terry, if you're listening, I hope you're doing all right. Yeah, uh, Terry, if you're listening because you can't look at things anymore. <laughs> I shouldn't be joking. It actually, like I, when it first happened, I went, oh God, that looks a bit grim. I hope he's all right. And then I like went to see if he was all right later. I was like, oh, oh, this is nasty. But yeah, I hope he's all right. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think the Illunion's hierarchy got a little bit inverted because neither of their primary on-ball guys was having their best day. Greg started. Well, yeah, Greg did great um, at the end of the game, but that was yeah. kind of when they were chasing it. Yeah, both Greg and Bill strike me as at their best playing off the creation of the other guys. Um, Bill being like hunting mismatches or getting cuts and Greg being able to, you know, catch and attack weak side uh so greg stepped up in terms of rolling the offense shot pretty well but it just wasn't enough with hasso having a lesser output after i think hasso was pretty effective in the first quarter and then cooled off a little bit yeah Um, like that's the thing of having a giant on both sides of the floor like there's no like he just physically dominated us completely but you have yeah. more than enough to match up with him with Lee and Alejandro, obviously. Yeah, and I think it's Hasso's kind of arc in the game was indicative in Illunion winning the first quarter, kind of drawing it close second quarter and then really falling off from there um, as Hasso kind of stopped being as effective inside. Illunion lost a weapon that they're, with their guys not having their best days, they weren't really made up to accommodate today. Um, and then, like you say, Greg pulled it back with some, you know, making some big shots towards the end. But the third quarter was 19 to 8 for Albacete. And in a nine point, sorry, in an 11 point game, we get an 11 point difference in the one quarter. Yeah. Um, also, just random, interesting. I don't know if it's interesting to anyone else, but interesting stat there. Elunion had 36 points in the paint in the first game and 22 in this game. So, like, I know it's not a surprise that even if you're massive going inside against Lee Manning and Alejandro Zarzuela is not fun, but yeah. that like that kind of makes a difference. Like, Yeah, definitely. So congrats to Amiab who are the winners of the not cup. Um, yeah. Of the Supercopa, which isn't a cup and is also just been made up 
But yeah. if we wanted to be cynical about the role of the Supercopa in the Spanish league calendar, we could call it the who got richer out of the already rich from last season award because it's essentially, hey, these are the guys who did best last year. Did any of them win the off-season in terms of players brought in? I think you could probably call Amiab just that, bringing in Charlotte and Phil. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice little, like... If if you said any team were going to lose, um, Gaz, Chardry, Kyle Marsh, and Almu uh, Mondial, you'd be like, oh god, what are they going to do? Oh yeah, we'll bring Phil and Charlie, and okay, they'll probably be all right. Like losing those losing those three guys is a big blow to any team, but not a bad way to replace them. But anyway, right. shall we move country? We shall. And I don't mean talking about leagues. Should we just move country? Yeah, where we go? You should, because the UK is just in trouble. But yeah, I I really really should. I've been pounding that drum. But anyway, um, so first German league game of the season, Thuringia Bulls ninety two, Rhine River Rhinos fifty five. Should probably preface this by saying uh, Rhine River Rhinos were missing three of their guys who, if not starters, heavy contributors in Aaron Young, who was back in Canada for a training camp. And um, Ugo Sarprak and Kamel Khan, who I think only signed very late in the offseason, so are not in Germany yet, I guess mm. is what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, so incomplete roster, and you get to go up against a team that you could argue, even if they did have their complete roster, they're not fully equipped to handle in terms yeah. of matchups. Yeah, I wonder, looking at that, like obviously... You've got a sort of new team coming together, a new coach as well. Lucas Warburton is out there coaching the Rhine River Rhinos now, which yeah. is cool. Um, I wonder if you had your full team and had to go against Thuringen first game of the season, would that be more pressure than in this scenario when you're kind of expecting it not to go well? Like, that's not how people think about this, but I wonder, like, if you had your full team and they absolutely smashed you anyway, would that not have been great? Like, well, not- it's tough to have this game straight away because I think Ryan River Rhinos with the people they brought in can be expecting to be up the sort of top end of the table. doesn't mean you need to beat during it, obviously. Um, but Yeah, I think in that sense, maybe the way the schedule's fallen here works their advantage because that you could have penciled this in as a Thuringen win anyway. Um, and it means that you're kind of getting this game out of the way when you're weakened rather than being weakened and playing a team who you would have been wrestling for standings with. Like if Yeah, like then playing Hanover or something at this point would have been tough, but maybe, and maybe like Rhino Rhinos come out and do well against Durgan with a full squad and we sound stupid, but... So be it. Um, We've sounded stupid before. (laughs) I think um, the only thing I would take away from this game, because it's not worth getting into like individual, you know, how is this going to work? But I think even with their players missing, this result's pretty indicative because... You're effectively missing three mids. Uh, I think Kamel Khan is a four, so maybe he's not a mid, but yeah. you're missing three perimeter guys. Uh, Heiss Evan played 40 minutes, and mm. he's a pretty good player, but he's maybe not, if you needed to draft in a 4-5 to do battle with Vahid and Haluski, he's probably not the guy you're topping the list with in terms of like physical stature. Um, mm. He's a pretty lean guy going up against two monsters there, so... 
I think that problem probably will persist. The argument you could make is that when they do get those three guys back, there's a hell of a lot more shooting on the offensive end between Toprak, Kamal Khan, and Aaron Young. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I'm excited to see them play play on offense. Um, I don't know. Turingan love scoring yeah. and 100 on people. Um, so so they're, they're like, I wouldn't have called rhinos if they had the full squad probably but like maybe not by 40 yeah um just excited to see excited to see rhinos when they have their full squad but yeah turning and look like they haven't missed a beat because they kind of haven't yeah um just to run through it real quick so alex halewski with 19 jody ruiz and yes albrecht with 14 each Joachim linden with 13 um Oh, Hubert Hager with 14 as well on six for six shooting, which, man, if they if they have to take Kaluski off and Vahid or, and or Vahid off at any point, and the guy who's happy to come in and play 17 minutes a game is going to give you 14 points on 100% shooting, what is anybody meant to do with that big man rotation? Very little, um, yeah. And then, yeah, Ari, who's obviously just joined, uh, Kelly Spudio, oh and Dylan Fishback with chipping in kind of 12 across three of them. Sure. Um, Thuringen just roll it out, man. They, yeah, you know, but they roll it out and they beat the brakes off people. Well, the, like, yeah, they just, like the middle of the first quarter, they were like, "All right, we're up eight. Let's put a two-man hustle on." Like they just they run their stuff regardless of whether they're going to be winning by forty or not, which I think is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. The, you wish a lot of teams could be as professional and as focused when maybe not quite as challenged as throwing aware in this case. Yeah. And I don't mean like teams should press when they're winning by a hundred, uh, but I mean like just not dropping the level, like going yeah. up the, your way anyway is great. They play as if it's nil nil on every possession. Yeah. In like a game to two, <laughs> just like, right. Okay. We have to win this offense and defense. Yeah. That's, that's probably a really, really helpful way to think about it. Hey, Let's play to two every 24 seconds. Um, <laughs> right. I rate that, actually. Probably not much more to grab from this one, so should we move on? Uh, yes. Okay. What have you got next? Because we've probably got our tabs in a different order. Oh, we probably do. Um, God. It's because we have the old German ones up, don't we? Which um, haven't got any better over the off-season. No, I, the next game, I, oh God, I clicked the first one for God's sake. <laughs> I'm not going to edit this out. I don't care. Um, Hanover United, 72, Dolphins, uh, Trier, 70. Yeah. This was a good game. Yeah, this was, we've been, I think we've been as excited about Hanover as anybody. Um, we we're obviously super keen to get Sean Norris in and all this stuff. And I think, sentiment we got back in response to our Sean Norris moves to Hanover podcast was this bumps Hanover to the level of, you know, being able to take a game off of Landil or Thuringen if things fall right and remains to be seen if that's the case, but this game will serve as a reminder that no matter how good any team might be, Dirk Passavander might just beat you on his own or come close. Yeah. I think the thing with Hanover is like, I don't know if like, Sean Norris, obviously, like all-time great Hall of Famer, um, and by all accounts, the big fellow. What's he? Thomas McHugh. Um, looks unbelievable and massive, and has a great mullet. Uh, but I wonder, like, I don't know if this pushes them to 
Landale or Turing, and I think it pushes them to like solidifying third and fourth with yeah. Ryan River Rhinos. Like that's going to be a hell of a game, Hanover Ryan River Rhinos. But that was kind of third, fourth last year anyway. Like I don't. Obviously, I'm saying this like they could have a hell of a game and and take a game off one of the top two. But I think you need an overhaul to get near the sort of institutional excellence of just having yeah good fair. guys at all yeah. times. I think that's fair. Um, I thought it was interesting here. The whole Tom McHugh obviously showed out in the uh, Junior Worlds where he was really consistent for Australia. And I think he worked well there because he's a young guy, but he's huge in comparison to most of the people he played at the junior level. He's just uh, massive full stop against most but, people, is he not? Oh, yeah, this was it. He was huge against Trier because they're a pretty small team. Um, but I think this was maybe the best example of why a guy who it's his first game in Germany, you can't really rely on being like, Hey, this team's small. Do you want to just go and, you know, can we run our offense through you mincing them every time and getting inside and finishing? It sounds fine in theory. It's a hell of a big ask for somebody who's playing in a professional league for their first time against a very competent team. Um, That's not to say he didn't play well. He shot well and finished very effectively. I think Tria just had a little bit more continuity in this game in terms of they only really run one thing and maybe that'll squeak you a win out against a team that's still feeling its way because Sean and Tom didn't arrive until like a week, week and a half ago. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the big thing that I kind of was, I was watching this game and I was wondering, right, so they're playing three big, a two and a one at what, and they've got a four or five that's going nuts. At what point do you, a team that are playing sort of a big three mids and a one start to press? (laughs) Yeah, it took a little while. Uh (laughs) It was like fourth quarter and they were like, oh yeah, cool. Done. Yeah. Like they were down a couple going into the fourth, right? And then yeah. well, they're, they're they down were five, right? Five going into the fourth, yeah. Um, I think the final made shot was Sean um, making a scoop with an and one, which was an insane finish. And Unbelievable. Then I, I That's what he does, like coming off pick and roll and just getting to the basket the way he does is mental. Like, yeah, and I, I think we talked about like what does it do to the level of Hanover bringing someone like Sean in? If the what it does for you is keep you top of the tier that you're in and it means bringing in a guy who's kind of the wily veteran means you don't lose a game or like a slip-up game that you otherwise might have done, then that's why you bring these guys here. Oh, yeah. And not because you're expecting him to have 50 points against the ring in Orlando and carry you single-handedly to a win. Um, exactly, that's it. Raises your floor massively, raises your ceiling as well, but... Yeah. Like, um, Passavan, 44 on 32 shots. He's apparently, I don't know what he's been doing all off season, but apparently he's just carrying on from where he finished off. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he doesn't need to do much to keep it going at this point. Do you reckon his preseason is like sitting in his chair, shooting one bank shot and being like, yeah, okay, I've got it. <laughs> um, yeah, rolling in, making a layup and being like, yeah. Uh, like, the Richard, like the Richard Noche thing of being like, if I come into a shooting session and I shoot 10 from 10 free throws, then where am I going to go? The only <laughs> way is down. I may as well go home. <laughs> um, so yeah, 44 from Passavan, uh, 18 
to leave Hanover from Sean Norris and then uh, Jan Sadler and Alex Buda with 14 for Hanover, Tom McHugh with 10. Uh, Trio got 10 from Corey Rossi and this Canadian guy who's just come over, Dayon Green, had nine. He actually changed the game up massively when he came in. Uh, I've not... I forgot he was there. Like, yeah. And when he came in, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's that's yeah. a nice signing for them. Yeah, he... Um, him, Corey and Dirk, between them, give them enough mobility that Trio run very unconventional offenses anyway because most of it is like four guys working for the pass band, but I yeah, think it's a little, it's a little I'll go go black. Yeah. But I think there's now like with the extra bit of speed they've got, there's a little bit of a wild card element to, you know, Dion Green or Corey Rossi might just beat you on a cut if you're trying to over resource onto go black. Yeah, exactly. And like Dejon Green gives them a little more shooting as well. Like he shot two threes and split them like if that if that can keep going to take a little bit of pressure and a little handling away from Dirk Passavan who has to do a lot or does a lot like my point is he probably doesn't have to at this point he's got a little bit more around him but yeah man 44 oh my god <laughs> like that back I was excited to get back to the how many points he scored game and he did not disappoint <laughs> Right. Um, we'll whiz through this next one because there is no statistical record anywhere of um, Landil's players against Angie Skywheelers. So this was Landil 64 and Skywheelers 44. And the grand takeaway from watching this is Nico Drymuller is an objectively good player, but when he is the primary offensive creator on a team loaded up with mobile defenders, he is going to have a tough time and the team probably will do accordingly. Yeah, Nico is, uh, Nico Dremuller is a top five two-pointer in the world. Yeah. Probably. Uh, no, I don't think probably. I think he just is. Um, but the thing that surprised me about this game is I spent the whole game being like, oh yeah, Landil can run this now. Oh yeah, <laughs> Landil. Like, because they, they started, the game started like two minutes in, right? Yeah. Um, and they went, um, uh, God, what was it? Four, five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, that's it. Tommy um, wrote. Yeah, Tommy, Simon, Yannick, uh, Gaz, and I can't remember who the other one was. Was it? It was either Rio or Gutner. No, it was Gutner. Um, well, three minutes in, it was Gutner. Anyway, um, and I just had a moment of like, oh yeah, they can run this. And then <laughs> later on, they went. <laughs> later on, they went um, four, five, three, three. 2-2 two, two with Rose, Simon, uh, Tommy, Quentin, and uh, Guntner or Rio. Oh, they had guys in there at one point. And I was like, what do you, what do, you do, man? <laughs> like, um, But yeah, Sky really stuck around for a little bit. And then they went back to their starters with Quentin yeah. in the third. And that kind of broke the game open, which was cool to see. But yeah, as I say, like when they put that... Um, Two twos, two threes line up on with Rose. I was like, oh right, this is this is unfair. What are we doing? What like what like what variants do you have that you can bench three or four of these really special international players and have a lineup that surprises me? When you have a lineup that isn't your starters that make me go, What what do you mean you can play all of this? But yes, it um it was probably that point in the second quarter where every the other gym team had a look around and was like, oh yeah, we have no lineup where we're like, how are Landil going to cope with this? Not that they would have that in a, like any other season. but yeah, I, I guess they're going to think they have a couple of yeah. things that they're going to struggle with, but like, yeah. apart from that. 
I think the um, an interesting thing that I hadn't really thought about is the difference in Rio's game and now bringing in Guntner to play as more of a pr- like traditional big. Yeah, you're toggling those guys in and out, and it's Rio who does a lot of you know complex three steps ahead stuff, um, and is forever reading the game and you know playing in the subtleties. And then there's Guntner who to not take away anything from his basketball IQ or ability, his game is effectively, I know how big I am. And if there's any space, I'm going to get near enough the basket that you can't do anything about it. And you're going to have to, you know, at any given point in any lineup, you're going to have to be coping with either or of those. Like there's no scenario where they don't have to put one of those guys out. No, exactly. Um, It's just having the variance to be able to toggle between that and or those two or like having guys on the floor as a like just an out and out scorer and creator and being as technically great as he is with everything like watching guys play in a team like that is a lot of fun because like last year and even this year they do a lot of moving the ball and flying around the place and uh, it's all very mobile and not taking away from guys's mobility but watching him being like cats the ball 15 feet from the basket score He's great. Like, um, I'm on record as thinking guys is great, obviously. Um, but it's fun to see like new guys in teams that have very different established ways to play. Um, and watching them sort of integrate. I love this part of the season, just watching teams kind of go between this is how we play and all right, this is what you bring to the table. Code will kind of meld that in, and the really good teams find somewhere in between. There's a lot of okay teams that are like, no, 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 welcome aboard. This is how we play. Um, But the best teams are able to sort of mix the two and sort of take people's tools on board and land they'll look like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, So we've not got any stats for the land players. Um, We'll just say that Sky Wheeler's got 14 points from Sven Diedrich and 12 from Katarina Lang, then six from Nico Dreimler and Christoph Spitz. Um, Landell probably, you know, in a mid-season form, they win this game by a lot more. Um, I think it's one of those things where they're still feeling their way to some extent. And realistically, when you go in at a talent advantage, um, in your first game of the season, there's maybe not a whole, if this has been mid-season and they'd had a couple of games and they'd struggled with this or that, they'd probably be like, we're going to use this game to work on you know, running our man out offense or like running our three, two press or something specific like that. But coming straight into the season like that, they're probably like, we just need to roll this out and see, see how it looks. And they're in that melding process that you just described. Yeah. Speaking of a team that did not meld together in any way. Oh God. That was a nice way to say that. Right. Cologne 99 is 41 BBC Munsterland basketballs. Um, traveling theme park returns, and this one was 67 41. Welcome to Monsterland. Remember, you're here forever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I so every week before we do the podcast or before the games happen, we will send each other a couple of messages and be like, All right, so these big games are on this weekend. We should probably get a good look at these. And um, we get a look at every game, but we sort of zero in on the games that we think might be interesting and Mark flagged this game up as one that might be worth watching and man it was a little bit more one-sided than we thought 
But it is definitive proof that the theory that we have that Soren Muller is the best player in the universe <laughs> because he subscribes to the podcast, I believe. Um, yeah, it's nice that that's the case. Um, it's nice that there's proof there, basically. So, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, this one was... I mean, I, the reason I texted you about this one was because obviously Cologne going through a little bit of a shift uh, post Joe Bezuk leaving, but they brought in Mustafa Kortmaz, uh, Kei Akita from Japan, uh, Asael Shamo, who I've been excited to get over to Europe for a couple of years now, uh, finally has done. Uh, they got a couple of Dutch low pointers in, in Sebastio, um, Nyman and Camilo Van Troop. So they've got guys, their young German guy, Thomas Raya, was really good in the under-23s. Yeah. And for whatever we, we liked him last year as well. He, he had a couple of games that we were quite excited about last year. Yeah. And for whatever reason in this game, it just did not come together in any way, shape or form. Um, my single favorite thing that happened in this game that I've never seen ever was... <laughs> In end of the first quarter, it was 18-15 to Munsterland, right? End of the second quarter, it was 37-19 to Munsterland. So that makes the score in the second quarter 19-4. to Correct. To end the third quarter, it was 59-25, which makes that 22-6. And I have never seen this, but... Munsterland scored 22 straight points and then Cologne, having not made a basket the entire quarter, made their last three shots for the buzzer. And it's like, at that point, that was a 41 to 10 run across two quarters. Yeah, that's barely a run anymore. Like, that's well, just, yeah, that's, that's half the game, obviously. Simplifying your fractions, you know. <laughs> yeah, and... Munsterland are not the most talented team in the German league by any stretch of the imagination. They've got good, competent guys, but they might be one of the best and most underappreciated teams at running the simple stuff to death and making teams pay for it. Um, okay. The fact that Matthias Bellas routinely gets inside as often as he does, despite not being surrounded by shooting, is probably a testament to that. Um and if you'd asked me what the plan was for this game, I would have said, well, if you're Cologne, sit in on them as much as you can and make them win it from outside. And if you're Munsterland, you basically need to get inside and, you know, use Matthias's height advantage, for example. And it was Cologne who really struggled from outside in this game. Um, Mustafa's normally dependable enough. He wasn't. Um, Asel Shabo had a tough game. Thomas Raya had 15, but outside of that, the most they got from anybody was eight. And yeah, this was just a weird flip of the script. I don't know if it was like a chemistry thing because one yeah. team rolled its whole team over from last year and one team's starting fresh. Yeah, like first time we've done this all season and we've had several points mentioned that maybe the issue with each team is at any given point, they're trying to figure out their lineups and they're trying to figure out how to play against each other or with each other, sorry. I think that is a factor for every team we have spoken about that has signed anyone because it's bound to be. And maybe this is just the example where it was most, like where it was most a factor. Like 
maybe that's just what happened. Maybe yeah. not uh, having played the game, maybe having not having played each against, I mean, played with each other. I keep saying against instead of with, like this is completely the opposite of what I'm trying I, to say. I, I often get those two mixed up. Uh, yes. Antonyms. Am I right guys? But, yeah, um, against you. Pardon? That I host the podcast against you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> sometimes it feels like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like right now. But yeah, no, I think maybe this could just be a case of this was the team that had the most difficulty sort of gelling at the start of the season in this first game. Like it could just be that. But yeah, because they have the talent, obviously. Like they brought yeah. some guys in that should be able to help them get together. But I don't know any given team. Like I don't know when everyone got there or when how much they practiced or whether they were able to get on court together. Yeah, I think okay. co- continuity is, in the case of somebody like Munsterland, who've rolled their entire team over, more or less, continuity almost accelerates you early on in the season and then leaves you to be caught up by everyone who's figuring it out that they potentially have more ceiling than you do. Yeah, and also I think the thing is, like, if you're bringing a couple of new guys in to like supplement someone who's staying there, most of the time when teams bring a handful of guys in, it's around their main scorer who you can throw the ball to but like if you move on from a guy like Joe Beswick who had the ball in his hands a lot last year that obviously changes things a little bit like you know if you replace the guy that was sat in front of him when he had the ball in his hands that would be different because they'd be able to go all right cool this is how we play together but bring in a handful of new guys in in important spots really makes a difference you know like you can replace role players easily compared to that I think I think that makes a difference too definitely so yeah Soren Muller with 23 um, he might be getting the belt in any regular week does anyone else have a shout for the belt in your eyes um, well there was uh, a plate handed out instead of a cup so do we hand the belt out to uh, uh, someone who won the super cup because I feel like winning is important we probably should do, yeah. Otherwise, Dirk Passavan may have got it had Trier just squeak past Hanover. Yes. All right. Uh, I will let you decide who out of Albacete gets the belt. Okay. I'm going to go Filipski from Albacete just because, as we mentioned, Gaz left. Um, they kind of did the back and forth thing last year where it was like Gaz out for a bit. Filipski starts, Gaz comes in. You know, they alternate who's off the bench. Phil's come in and he's come off the bench for the first couple of games and yeah Albacete don't just keep on trucking on the way to a Super Cup win to start the season if Filipski doesn't hit the ground running sure okay I think Lee's in with a shot as well but I, as I said I let you make the decision and you did so I'm not going to be like eh hey, you choose whatever you want and it'll me being like hey Mark where do you want to go for dinner you can choose anywhere <laughs> mm, not there okay <laughs> but yeah uh, married guy references. Cool. Uh, no, I, I didn't. I didn't mention. I didn't <laughs> mention anyone else once. You like you. That's you bringing that to the table. I know. Um, um, what was I going to say? Um, we asked if anyone had any things to say about the start of the season. We got one message to say that Marty Edwards had a great game in the GB Premier Division yesterday. I watched about five minutes of it because I don't really watch the English basketball. I should probably watch that game because. Marty's the man. And the other question was Ayaka asking how what, to... Why is Pappy's nickname Jolly? I don't know. His first name is Julio, which might 
that sonically kind of get you there, but I also haven't asked him because I don't call him that. Uh, I did think that when the um, Spanish commentator was trying to get their head around his name, I was like, Julio, as if it was like full of Y's. And it's like, it's literally the Spanish name Julio, but with a J at the front of it. And so it's not that difficult, but the Spanish commentator is like, hey, I don't use G's and I's together. What's going on here? Yeah. That's always a funny thing. Like it happens every year in Spain where someone moves somewhere. Uh, someone moves from somewhere outside of Spain and they have two first names and one second name. Oh, yeah. Spanish, the Spanish people are like, ah, yes. <laughs> a surname. Yeah, we Michael, know what's Michael. Going. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it happens every year. But yeah, um, cool. Is that everything yeah, from us? from us that I'm aware of. Cool. That's everything that anyone would want from us and maybe some things that people actually need or expect. So, yeah. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Cool. Uh, we will yeah. be next week. Next week. And, yeah, we're back to We should say at this point now we've got these weekly episodes coming out. We'll be back to our weekly roundup and bi-weekly guest spots once we get some guests lined up. So. Yes. So anyone who wants to come on. <laughs> if anyone's got anyone they want us to reach out to, give us a shout and we will do just that and we'll see who we can drag in and waste an hour of their lives. All right. Yeah. Um, Speaking of wasting easy. an hour of our lives, let's get out of here. Cool. All right. Take it easy. Have a good week. Be good. Bye-bye.